Hello and welcome to the PK Soccer Youth Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kelshaw. In today's episode, I am joined by Kyle Jordan. Kyle is a UEFA B licensed coach from Horsham, England. Kyle is the under-16 coach and youth development manager at Crawley Wasps LFC. In today's episode, we talk about Kyle's introduction into coaching in both England and the US. We also talk about his many roles with professional clubs in the London area and the formation of two-touch football. Kyle, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Looking, been looking forward to this. Yeah, you're welcome. First, you give us a brief introduction. How did you first get involved into football and then into coaching? So getting involved in football, so being a, a young lad in the south of England, it's just naturally just getting to, to start playing football. So I played for a team all the way from like six up until senior men's, uh, just worked through the age groups. And um, yeah, played uh, all right, played an OK standard, which took me to various clubs and lucky enough to go to the States and play on a scholarship out there. But it was only, I really, only ever really got into coaching when I went and did a, a, I did a summer at a, a YMCA camping in, America, in Massachusetts and did a bit of football coaching there and then did like the odd session where I just made it fun for the kids. I just helped kids like kids would sign up for the for the uh, for this lesson. Obviously, it's one of four lessons they could sign up for throughout the day and they do football every day for that week. And so some kids would enjoy it, and I just literally get them in, like just everyone have a ball, little lots of shooting games, like little variation of matches you can try. But it was only when I did that summer that I really enjoyed football coaching properly. So I did, obviously I did Camp America four years in a row, um, whilst doing my degree at um, Aberdeen. I, did, I graduated from Aberdeen University, and then when I was at Aberdeen University in my final year after coming to America, I um, I helped out with the running of one of the teams and just like putting on drills, like put, doing warm-ups, um, like organising like possession practices, um, little passing patterns, I organised them. So I did that, so I got my level one and then I was halfway through my level two, but I got injured. And then I came out to, I did a, a year, I did eight months with Noga Noga Soccer, I was in Connecticut. And um, yeah, so when I did a year there, I then came back and fully committed my my career to football coaching when I got my level two. And just obviously yeah, six years ago, got my UEFA B licence. Well, it's, um, again, we had just, we'd spoke off air about the, the Noga connection that we, uh, I realised yeah. that we had, I had interviewed you and then, I already apologise for not for not realising <laughs> it because it was such a, a a long time ago. But then, what did you study at university? So I did. I got a long-winded university program. I um I started off at University of Gloucester doing um film studies. <laughs> I thought I'm going to work in film media, but um after my first summer at, at Camp America, I I've always I've always been fascinated with America, like obviously having watched the TV shows, you want to go and live in there, you want to go and go, go to school there, go to university there, it always seems so extravagant. So I, there was a child at my summer camp whose dad is a former professional footballer in England, 
and he was man he was coach at Boston College. So I contacted him and just said, I'm looking to see what college soccer life is like. I'm looking to transfer potentially for my university degree in England. Um, so I just messaged him and went and stayed with a friend in Boston after my, my summer camp ended. And I just went and visited Boston, had a look around, watched training, just so I can see, like, am I at that level that I think I need to be to go and play college soccer? Um, so I went... I, I visited Boston College and I inquired about how is best to get a scholarship if you can get one. And then I went and visited a few other like D2 schools, I visited a couple of D3 schools around the Massachusetts area. I just hired a car and started driving around the schools and just contacted them before. Some were polite and some said, no, thank you. We don't we don't want you to come and visit. Oh. Um, so I then came home for my second year of university at, at Gloucester continue my, my studies but during that year I applied to First Point USA the scholarship company okay so First Point USA where they will see like promote you you go for a trial game they promote you out to um you you play a trial game you get promoted out to schools in America and obviously then it's like the, the coach might look at you and think okay we need a left back Kyle's a left back we want him so I came for a trial. I came for a trial uh, down at QPR's training ground in by London Heathrow, and uh, played the game. Uh, didn't really hear much, so I got offered a place with First Point, who were then going to promote me out to the colleges. Yeah. So um, they promoted me out, and it was only when I was in my second year of summer camp that I got an email from a school in Indiana saying we'd like you to come out. We'd like to. We'd like you to sign. So I'm there in the middle of Massachusetts with no phone signal, hardly any internet, trying to organise this um, college scholarship offer. So I then had to obviously contact my university in England to say, I'm transferring to America, can you please send over my transcripts? I then had to go to my school in England and get all my high, my high school transcripts, my college, my yeah. A-level results. So... I did that, so I left summer camp early and transferred to the school in Indiana, uh, which was a it was a Christian college, so it's completely worlds away from where I've ever been. I'm not in middle of Indiana, middle of nowhere, um, but I was like, I'm here to play football. It's what I'm really looking forward to. So I got there. Um, so I trained every day. So I was training six days a week, three times a day for the first two weeks of preseason. But I I found out that I wasn't. I didn't gain eligibility to play oh. because um which is it's silly because i my so obviously my high school was called the college of richard collier so obviously being in england we call our, our last years of high school college yeah they saw that as university so they didn't give me and i had to red shirt for a year and even though i got my college to write them a letter to say we are a high school they wrote i wrote to the ncaa to say it's it's a high school they still didn't budge and so i was like well i'm only here for two years really because i'm doing my last two years and i was doing english wasn't really enjoying it so i came home uh, so i did I, I lasted till about november time just i wasn't playing was struggling because when you're not playing you're struggling to get involved in the team yeah 
is they're all playing, you're on the sidelines, not really involved in the banter, the changing room. I wasn't really enjoying it. So I came home and uh, worked for a year, just in like a, I knew I was going back to university. So I worked for a year to gain some money and then went to Aberdeen and finished my film studies degree. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it so was... it's, but even so, like you're, um, and this is a re- reoccurring thing with the coaches I've interviewed on the podcast, There's a lot of rejection in that, whether it was sending emails or just the disappointment of not being, being able to play just because of admin technicalities. Yeah. But then the fact that you had mentioned that you got in the car or you rented a car and you were driving around to different places just to to observe and see, which is probably at, at the time you did that um, was somewhat somewhat new. Like people are still doing visits or would you know arrange to visit clubs and just observe. But yeah. to be somewhat forward thinking like that is something what is now expected as a as a modern soccer player as a as a modern yeah. coach and so from there you had also mentioned that you're done your level one and you'd started your level two was yeah. that involved at the at the universities that you no, studied at? I, um i did my level one once i i think i did my, yeah, i did my level one um i think in 2010 i believe but when i was when i come back from america uh from my so when i come back from my college yeah um i thought you know what stay in football i'll go and do my level one it's a a, a nice thing to do it's a way for me to stay in football uh work with younger kids because through my work at summer camp i've realized i like working with children you know it's really enjoyable it's really rewarding um so i went and got my level one and I then went back to university for Aberdeen to fulfill my to finish my degree. And so football coaching, I played for the university football team. And obviously university football teams compared to America and England are very much lads run. You yeah. it's run by your mates and it's more of a social side. Um so I was playing there and I was just they said, I said, Oh, I've done my level one. Can I just take a training session? You know, like even if it's just a um, a possession practice like with end zones and we're looking at how we received the ball in the half turn and how can we play through the thirds which is more back then during that 2010 I never really heard of playing through the thirds you know and I, I look back now what I was coached as a kid and how I coached now worlds apart and like you're looking to play for and so it's just I just started doing like because we, we we'd play on a Wednesday so we'd train on a Monday, we'd, tra- we'd play in the uni league on a Wednesday, train on a Friday night, and then play on, play in the, like, the Saturday league on, on the Saturday afternoon. So it was more of a relaxed session on the Friday. It was more like just possession-based. Don't want to, like you say, you just don't want to strain yourself a day before a game. And I'll just do the odd session. So that's what I'll do. I did that the whole way through my university life uh, at, at Aberdeen. It was enjoyable, which I think started getting me that bug for coaching. How yeah. did it respond then being the, uh, obviously I'm sure you weren't the only Englishman playing in Scotland, but I, I could um, imagine. Um, some... Yeah, it was, um, my team were fine with me because uh, like I I've got Scottish roots, but playing against, because uh, I was in Aberdeen, against Aberdonians, so obviously north east, north east of Scotland, 
didn't take too kindly to a, to an English accent that far north. And uh, I, I was I was told I was given a few kicks uh, and a few knocks in the back. But just you, it's, I've been playing men's football since I was like 16. So I was, I was used to it. I was used to people kicking me in left, right and centre. And it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to be fair. But uh, play, playing in Scotland, it was, it was an experience. It was an enjoyable experience. So then from from there, you decided that really that film studies was not a career path you were going to yeah. pursue and you wanted yeah. to then try and coach f- football yeah. full time. Yeah. So I had a, obviously I, so I graduated in, in 2011 um, and I was doing a bit of like, yeah, I was doing a bit of like pub work while I was doing a bit of football work, like just helping out with odd sessions here and there with, with teams. And then whilst you're trying to gain that, so I, don't, I didn't want to jump straight into doing like level one, level two. I don't want to go, I wanted to get the experience first before going from badge to badge to badge to badge because you can go and get all the badges, but I always felt I want to make sure I'm experienced enough to know that I, I'm not just being a, I'm not just collecting badges, I'm really yeah. developing as a coach. So I was going to observe people. I went and observed coaches. I just went and just helped out, like, because having worked, because obviously by that time I was with 20, I was 23 by that point. Because obviously I, I graduated at 23. Obviously I've worked with, I've coached people my age at that time. So it's like 22, 23, yeah. 22. I also have worked with the younger kids who are like six to 14, obviously at the summer camps, there's different ages. So it put me in good stead, I think, that I was able to go and observe different age groups, mainly youth, because the youth was what I enjoyed more. And then just I then started towards my level two. But then I unfortunately, I went back to work at summer camp in 2012 and unfortunately ruptured my Achilles whilst working at summer camp. So that put me on that. I couldn't then complete my my level two. So obviously, in the, obviously, when you do a level two, you have like a, it's over like six months. Back then, it was like 2012, 2013, or 2012 it was. Um, I I couldn't complete it, so I had to like basically stop it and then redo it at a later date. But I still had the experience and, and had like book work for level two stuff. Yeah. But then you're talking there again. Um, again, you mentioned about that you, while doing those FA coaching badges, that you were going to observe coaches you yeah. were looking for different ways to get the experience, and then again another another setback with uh, with a knee injury. But you still seem to it doesn't seem to have uh, disheartened you. It seemed to have um, even when you mentioned before how you were writing letters to the the NCAA. Yeah, just trying to find a trying to find a way to make things work. Just um, it's so easy for 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 us to just, just sulk and you know throw our toy out the pram and yeah um, but the I, fact that you stayed like you, to stay strong spirited and keep continuing and want to to still coach I think is you know a credit to you and a credit to the kids and the players that you work with so then through your time with Noga yeah now now you're working for just a a, a pure soccer camp. Which I'm yeah. sure is a lot different to to Camp America. I'm sure yeah, the living arrangements yeah. and um, 
also the short social aspects probably a little bit different my brother did camp america so yeah. i somewhat uh, have an idea of of how how it worked how did it compare from doing your camp america style camps to uh to then working for noga it was um i think it was like from when when i went to camp america it was like an all-round camp. I thought I was going out to do football, but it opened my eyes to so many different things. Like when I did Camp America, I was teaching American football. I can't throw an American football to save my life. I can kick it. <laughs> and I was teaching like punting. Uh, but then like with Camp America, it's an all-round thing. And you're more like the counsellor than the coach. You know, you're yeah. more the counsellor of like being there for the kids that have got problems. Like And I... Like, Football there was one hour of a day when I coached in, in, in America at summer camp. And I had like other um, activities. I did like water ski. I was a lifeguard and things like that. So it's all around just, which was good though. So I think it allowed me to put all my, get all those experiences and put it into my football coaching when I went into football coaching. And obviously having watched America and I was like, back and was it 2008 I did my first summer up until 2012 football obviously wasn't big in America as it is now so kids didn't play it so obviously like you say they have sports like lacrosse American football baseball basketball football's probably like the fourth or fifth sport back then so kids weren't playing it as regularly so but the technical wasn't there for I feel like it built up the understanding and the patience that you need to coach yeah especially children who aren't as technically what you're used to so it was good in that sense that and it's always fun like friends of mine say I've got the patience of a saint so it was quite nice that I'm able to use that in my football coaching so going over to Noga well obviously I got there and I rocked up at New York at like 6 p.m in the evening I got picked up in a car and I think the guy got someone uh, I think Alan Keith, Alan O'Keefe. Alan O'Keefe, yeah. Yeah, he picked me up and he drove me to the house in on the border of Bridgeport Fairfield. And I rocked up there and obviously guys already lived together. So you're, I was going in there and obviously these guys had done it like a few years before previously. So they all knew each other. So it's like a kind of like, like you say, I've heard people say, like a baptism of fire, going into that environment and trying to get to know people. And I was really looking forward to it. And, um, but no, it was, like I say, and obviously, great group of guys I live with. I think it's said you're going to have to, like, it was that hard thing of, like, oh, God, are they going to get on with me? Am I going to get on with them? Are we going to click well? Are we going to mesh well? Because obviously, I'm living with these guys for nine months. And it could be a very low, lonely nine months if you don't get on well, and uh, if you don't really click. So it, it was it was, it was was different, but it was what I was looking forward to. I was, I was ready to make, I say, and I saw this as that, okay, I'm going to go work nine months in America. And I'm then going to obviously, like, because I knew it was a nine-month contract, I'd come back and then go back out again, and then go slowly but surely, like most people, like you say, most people, they managed to, I saw my career and my my football path in America. So I used what, it as that, opened my eyes to that a bit. But what I always, like what you said about Norga, similar to, to how I started, and you're, um, you, you're picked up, picked <laughs> up at the airport, and, you're taken to the house and it's somewhat like say entering um the changing room for the first time you're like a new player and they're already there and you've just got to you have no choice really you okay there are times where you will fall out with people but you will um 
the fact that you 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 had no choice, you had to get along really. And yeah. but then compared, I think to say working a, a traditional sport or summer camp, you had a bit more freedom as well. Like you've got your own transportation. You're living with just soccer people. There's no. Yeah. I know from my brother, listening to my brother's little more restrictions on, on that side. And I think probably now that everything was pure football and everyone that you were working with were all coaches and, and fans of football, that obviously must have been um, been a, a huge thing compared to, to what you talked about um, at the Christian university that you had, had gone to. So from there, you took those skills skills back to England and was that the first time that you had coached girls or female soccer players so no in in Noga is obviously when I was at the camp, summer camp I, I, it, like some girls would sign up and he's made it enjoyable but it was only at Noga that I I coached a team in Lewisborough I think that they're now John Jay and now yeah. John Jay Football Club, they were Lewisburg Warriors back then. I did the under-12s and the 14s. And I loved the team. I think they were a great team. And there was a young girl who played centre midfield. Because they were playing 11 aside at under-12, which I think nowadays you don't really play 11 aside at under-12. I don't know if it's still the same in America. No, they changed it to under-13s. Yeah. It did change, so but yeah. This, this girl, so obviously I had uh, my two centre midfielders one whose dad was the manager of the team and this boy was he was hard i think he was deaf in both ears potentially and this boy was incredible at football he was he, he read the game so well and his centre midfield partner was a young girl who was quiet as anything on the off the pitch you wouldn't say boo to a goose but she played lacrosse as well and she went on the pitch and turned into a completely different kind of player and was combative. No one got past her. And that was my first real instance of me of, of coaching girls football and coaching her. Because obviously he was playing mixed football that day. She, that stage yeah. was playing mixed. And that was my first thing. I was like, God, like everyone's... And there's always that preconception about girls football that, oh, it's different to boys. But I always look at girls football and say, girls just want to be treated the same as boys when it comes to sport. They don't want to be treated any differently. So they will give you 110% if you show them that respect. And she, no one got past her as centre midfield. And I was like, she's great. Like, <laughs> reminds me of like old school midfielders in England who don't let anyone go past her. It's like, you go past me or the ball goes past you. Not both of you go past me. And that was my first real instance of coaching girls. And being at Noga, then um, I went and started working in New Canaan. Yeah. Um, uh, that team finished when I worked in New Canaan and then started working with girls like I was helping out I was doing the odd session with the um, connect no what's the, the the team like the state kind of team Noga ran just the team Noga teams potentially team Noga or CFC potentially CFC like it's like the state kind of teams things like that I was running I was helping Barry Beatty do it and I was going to the old session. I remember like Stephen Burke was there. And that's when I worked with girls as well. And I started to get more involved in girls football. Um, and it was it was enjoyable. And it was it was nice just having that balance of working with girls, working with boys, looking at different styles, how girls, how some girls react to you, how boys react to you. It was nice getting those different um, variations, which has really helped me now that I work in girls football. So from 
from Nogo, we talked briefly that you'd you'd moved back. Basically, um, it was also down to like you know somewhat maturing or growing up, and then yeah. you met your girlfriend, who's now your wife. Yeah. How did you then get involved with with Crystal Palace and so, the Crawley Wasps? So I've only been involved. I was only involved in Crystal Palace. There's a few. I've had a few clubs before Crystal Palace. I was at. Um, so when I got when I came home from Noga, I went and finished my level two. So when I finished my level two, and um, I went and completed that, started work with like a, a youth team, my my old youth team where I lived, Robert Chief, and they were they were really good for youth football in the area, like over like age groups from six to eighteen, all the way through to men's, like two teams per age group. So a great environment for for boy for for players to play in, but there wasn't here there's not many girls teams around back then especially like even eight seven eight years ago there wasn't many girls teams around as there are now um so i was doing my level two and i was working i then um one of my dad's friends is a guy called john yems who's currently crawley town first team manager and he has worked he used to be like with bournemouth in the premier league and um, he know he knew a gentleman at Chelsea Football Foundation, and he gave me the email and said, "Give this guy a call, might have some work for you." So I gave him a call. Um, when I drove up to Cobham, obviously driving to the training ground, gone from working in America, now you're at a f- first a, a professional football team training ground, and it was like, "Wow, right, this is this is awesome, this is brilliant." So I went and met with him. Showed them my CV, showed them my level two. I've got this experience working in America. This is my experience. So it's like like you do in America. You go and do like the after school club kind of things. Yeah. Uh, go and do development centers, and still not seeing many girls. Um, so obviously girls were still really taken off at that point, and um, so I was I was doing that a bit. I was working. Yeah, I was working with Chelsea Foundation for a couple of years, which was really enjoyable. Uh, it was local areas going around doing soccer, uh, doing soccer schools, getting experience of coaching at the training ground with Chelsea, um, doing development centres where I was starting to like lead groups like under 12s, under 13s, 14s. And, like these, obviously, like, with the development centres, at the best like, players you see at an after school club, you think, okay, we'll bring them into our like the kind of the pathway that yeah. clubs try to bring in to try and get youth players into academy level football and a good level of football. So I was using that, which was enjoyable. Um, and then in 2015, I, I applied for my B license and I was lucky enough to get my B license. And so obviously now I've gone from coaching development, I've gone from coaching development players at like eight to 11 to now going to the B license, which is more around with like the 10 v 10, 11 v 11 senior level football. So that was, a, no, no, I'm going to have to coach senior men now. And this was, um, that was new. That was new. So but I was still at 26 at that point. So I was 26, 27. Yeah. So I went and got my B license. Um, but then you talk then, um, again, similar, seems to be a, a reoccurring thing within, within our chat today. You spoke to a friend of a friend. They gave you a contact. You gave them a call. I'm sure it wasn't just one call. It was several calls to different people. And again, gaining this experience in all these different levels, whether it be the summer camps in America to working for Noga, to even just going out to Indiana 
Yeah. We talk about going to Aberdeen and then working with all um, in somewhat of the professional setups in the London area. And then with working with some of the local clubs, really just getting as much experience from as different levels of the game as possible, really giving you, um, making you an all rounder so you could really thrive then on the, on these FA qualifications, yeah. the FA badges. Yeah. It was, so, um, sorry, you go, you go on, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I got my B licence and um, I was at Chelsea and what, I was in that mindset of like, when you go on the, when I won the B licence, I thought, okay, now my, my, my coaching journey is really going to kick off. And I, it's always my dream to get into academy football. You know, it's where I want to be. I want to work in full-time football. I love it. Like, I want to work in that level. So I thought every job you'd look at, like, academy-wise, B licence. need a B licence. I said, okay, I've got my B licence now. And the doors didn't really open as much. And I was like, okay, this is, this is struggling. I'm struggling here. Like, I went and got my B licence. I've worked really hard. I'm not progressing where I, where I should do. And um, that was a bit of naivety on my part. You know, I was so driven that where I'd done really well to take a step back and okay, I'm going to take the time between my level one and my level two. And then looking back now, I wish I had this like relax and go, I've got my B license. That's a big thing to do. Go and use it now. And I tried to use it at Chelsea, but it was just, wasn't really working out for me in that sense. I was like, okay, well, cause I was, I had my B license and I wasn't really coaching the age group I wanted to coach and I wasn't really enjoying it. Um, you're turning up and I like I like to be critiqued which is the one thing I loved about Noga the one the brilliant thing I loved about Noga was like you say about Tim Bradfield was you drive to Bridgeport University and have like staff meetings staff mornings yeah. where some people would get would have to coach and you get critiqued and it's never it's never criticism it's constructive criticism because it's constructive in the sense that it's to make you a better coach and that's all I want. I want people to make me a better coach. So I would, um, at Chelsea, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a better coach. And I didn't feel there was that same sense of, what's the word, like same sense of like, it's not about that. And I was like, I want to be, I want to be a better coach. And I want people to critique me. I want people to watch my sessions. And it's hard because there's so many people, you've got so many players to watch, so many coaches to watch. Yeah. So I, I moved on to a, a company called Proway. Um, which is like, a, like, a, like I say, a private company, a private company in, in, in the south of England that played in the, um, the JPL League, which is the junior Premier League in England. And it's a good, it's, now it's a very good level, especially for girls football. It's a very good standard of football for girls. And um, yeah, so I was there for two years and unfortunately like that, that came, I, I left there and then like you said about the setbacks mentally that that destroyed me and I then had to take like six months out of football mentally just it was a mental strain on my part like anxiety kicked in was that because it was a shock that you had to leave that company or no I think it was um the, the company went under I see and and uh I, I I lost out a bit of money unfortunately and when you're part-time you're losing out on money and you obviously you know the hours you're driving around and you lost out on money and 
I think it was like it was over a thousand pounds I didn't get, and that's my petrol, that's my that's my rent in my in my flat. And when you want to try and provide for you and your partner, it, it doesn't yeah. work. So I just thought, okay, I need to take a break from football. I went went back and worked in a pub, and, just, and just took a break from football and said, what do I want to do? And uh, it, in all fairness, was brilliant for me. It was it was the best thing I did was taking that break from football. Like when you see you're on the you're on the road, you're on the motorway, and and you're uh, you know grabbing something to eat at a service station or grabbing something quick to eat. You're not necessarily eating properly. It's 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 eating at nine o'clock at night because that's when your sessions end. And um, yeah, there are uh, whether it's getting changed out the boot of your car, things, all little things like that that kind of um, can take its toll. So it seemed then that you took that that break um then they said that give you like a, a new leash of life is that yeah it did yeah so it, did, it that, really did. did that change then kind of what kind of level of football you wanted to coach or the is that how uh, you got involved with crawley so um yeah i started doing um so when i was ready to come back into sport i went and worked like a a sports company in the South England, just like basically get back and working with kids and, and coaching, coaching like PE. So I did that for a year. And then this role at Crystal Palace Foundation came up, which obviously takes me like 2018. Yeah. Um, they had like a full time schools role available. And so I applied for that. I was like, OK, work, work in the foundation. That's how I'm going to just ease myself back into football, ease myself back into it. And um, so I went in, I went to that. So I went for an interview. And um, I was unfortunate, I was unsuccessful in getting the full-time sports coach role, but they I say, looked at my qualifications, looked at me coach and said, okay, we want to bring you in part-time doing our um, development centres near, near where I live. I was like, yeah, perfect. That'd be good for me. You know, staying, it's giving that staying in football for the time being yeah. without giving that pressure. I know it's because obviously when you're sessional, you're not contracted to it. You can just pick and choose. But me, I was like, I'm back in the game. I'm, I'm back coaching. I'm loving it. And um, it was only after my honeymoon, I, I, I got married in the in the February of 2018. I was on the honeymoon in like Southeast Asia, like an Indonesia way. And um, I got a, I got an email from the school's manager saying, we've got a full time role. We'd like to offer it to you. And I was like, brilliant. And so I went and worked. I got a full time role in the foundation, which is brilliant. I was like, this is excellent. I'm working back full time now, which is all I ever wanted. And it's quite nice because the um, the football development manager at Crystal Palace, I rocked up at a, 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 a football de- a development centre session at at Seller State Seller um, Arena, which is near Seller Stadium in, in London. Yeah. And this guy goes to me, it's like, "Do I know you?" And I was like, "I don't know." I said, "Do you know me?" He's like, "Did you do UA for B in Maidstone?" And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, yeah, I was on the UA for B review. And I was like, oh, okay, like, brilliant. So it was nice having that connection there of someone who's seen me coach, yeah, who knows I passed my ses- my, my assessment, who knows I can coach well. I'm like, this is how I start to get that, build up that confidence again. And Well, I'm a big advocate of, it's the people that you meet on, on coaching licenses and courses can be just as valuable as the information from the actual yeah. course. But um, I've had it happen to me where 
sometimes actually you'll become friendlier with a coach after the course. You may not have talked to them too much while you're actually learning yeah. together. And then it's like sometimes after the fact that you um that you then you connect and, and talk. Kind of similar to like what we're doing now with the Noga connection. Yeah. Um but so that's um that that must have been like a big weight off your shoulder. The fact then that you knew you knew someone and someone that was already there and they could somewhat show you the show you the ropes and get you more more involved. And obviously, um, you'd been taught by the the same kind of instructors, so you're probably on somewhat yeah. on the same. You yeah, know, singing, singing from the same hymn sheet. I was going to say. Yeah, no, it was it was brilliant because I think it was nice, like because he always says was like, then you always knew that he. He, he would call me up and say, I've got a session I need you to come and cover. Can you get here? I'm like, yeah, fine. Perfect. And it was, um, so I, I, I knew I wanted to do, I was happy doing the schools. And I was like, I, I still want to do, I still want to coach full-time football. You know, it's what I want to do. So Crystal Palace were doing um, these things called college academies, which is where we link with like a, a high school, yeah. like the, the when kids are 16 to 19. And you'll come and teach them, you'll come and coach them. They'll play under the Crystal Palace or like the team banner. They're well the kit, you'll get coached by them and they play in the National Youth Football League or similar leagues. And so, because I was working at a pub as and when, before I came full time, I was like, can I just come and watch your session with the college boys at, before my session with my development lot, which is at the same place? So I'll get there an hour earlier, just go and watch and do the session. And then that was slowly when I was able to to volunteer. Didn't get paid for it, just volunteered and picked up cones or assisted in a session with like giving little pointers. Because I started to get to know the guys who ran the sessions and all really nice guys. Some of them got off that work at Fulham. Uh, friend of my mate who now does, who was at Palace with me, he now lives in Carolina. He just literally moved out to Carolina yeah. last month. Um, and it was just like, yeah, just putting my name out there a bit and just asking, can I come and watch a session? Because the good thing was these guys have all done that at some point in their lives where they've asked to come and watch a session. And that's how you get your name in the door. And that's how you get the experience again of, so this is, okay, this is what I want to coach. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to buy my time. And when a job comes up, I'll apply for it. And if I don't get it, I don't get it. But I'm still putting myself out there to try and get it. So then that was still coaching the female soccer players with Crystal Palace, or was it a mix? So it was a mix. Um, funny enough, one of the, there was, um, so we do our development centres at Crystal Palace, and where you're starting to see more and more girls, because by this stage, I think the World Cup had happened for women back in May 2015. Was it 2015 World Cup? Yeah, I think Canada. Yeah. And I think that went, was when women's football blew up. And more and more girls are playing football. And there's one girl, I remember, I, I, I still coach her to, the, to this day. And on the, this girl's got the best feet. Like she's, she was 10 at the time, potentially, maybe 9, 10. Read the game really well. And I was like, okay, so you're in our level, you're in like our tier one development centre, which is all about player development. And then tier two is about team development, where we try and, there's, only, there's maybe like 10, 12 in each age group where you'll play against other teams. Like we'll play against like private academies or like local football clubs. Um, but there was 
no real pathway for her to get into that tier system. Mm-hmm. So I just messaged the manager of Crystal Palace girls club, girls team and said, I've got a player for you here. Can you come and have a look at her? Or can I send it down to you? And they're like, yeah, come on down. And, and I knew by her going there, I'd lose her from my development centre. But I was like, well, no, I want her to go and play as high as she can. So I, she got signed for Crystal Palace. And now, funny enough, she's at Crawley Wasps as under 12, under 13 now. So, But that's when I started. So I was like, I really enjoy coaching girls football. This is really, like, I think for me, I've always said it's like, with any player, when you see them get something, understand something, they understand a skill, they, they've they been practising something for a lot of long time and they understand what you mean, that little light switch goes off in their head and they're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. And that's why I know with girls football because I think with girls, what I've found with coaching girls football is, like I said, they want to be treated the same way as boys, but... Give them the confidence, go and do it, because they'll go and do it. If you give them that belief and that confidence, they will go and do whatever you want. No well, I think it, and it goes for goes for a, a lot of things. You know, if you can instill confidence in people, then they they usually are gonna they are gonna thrive. They're gonna enjoy it, and it, then it also shows that the coach cares. And then even from what you'd mentioned before, um, with your contact at Crystal Palace, and he was asking you to do cover. If you could do sessions, came down to trust. So I found yeah. that a big thing as well. So if the people that you're working for uh, trust you, and then if your players trust you, then they're going to feel a lot more comfortable. They're going to want to play. And it just yeah. seems to be, um, again, a reoccurring thing with everywhere everywhere that we've talked about today. Yeah. They just seem to be the qualities that keep that keep reoccurring. So from... So then I, I know I keep mentioning the the Crawley Wasps because I yeah. see on social media you're um, you're heavily involved with that with that club and that program. Yeah. Can you tell me so, a little bit about this because for, um, this is even somewhat uh, unique to me a a female only club that just concentrates on 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 girls and women's football. So yeah. if you Explain a little bit of how you got involved in that position and a little bit about the club. So, yeah, all, all that happened was um, I was dro- I think I was packing up a session. I was packing up a one-to-one in uh, right in the middle of, like, the pandemic, like, April time last year, April, May time last year, when things were starting to slowly open back up again and teams were like, we're back playing scene. I was like, well, I need to, I want a club to, I'm not, I'm not playing anymore because I was having any operation and I'm done playing. I need to find a club. And I was like, I'm going to uh, try girls football. So I said, look on social media and Crawley Ross just ad, just advertised on Twitter looking for coaches. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll email them. And um, I just met, I emailed him and then the, the owner rang me and was like, because obviously I said, he obviously asked where have I coached and what have I Yeah, I'm, I'm e-licensed, I've, I've coached here, here and here. And I think for him, he was like, oh, wow. And and you want to come and coach here? I'm like, yeah, sure, like, I'll, I'll come on down. Because for me, I've never really minded where I've coached as long as I feel valued. Like, yeah. I never really... Obviously, you know, you speak about America with private clubs in England, 
a lot of the people who do youth teams are volunteers. Yeah. So I never bothered about I never bothered about payment. As long as I enjoy it, I'll do anything. And um, so I, I messaged him and I was like, okay, well, I want to go and work in, I want to work in seniors because I want to start to work towards senior. I've done my time with youth football. I want to try women's senior football. Um, and, and in Crawley, so they've got, they started off as a, as a women's team. As, a, as, a, as a, I think one women's team, you know, maybe 20, 20 years ago, maybe. I think that's when they first started. Obviously not really playing anywhere properly. Um, and then they brought over, they wanted to start up a girls team. So I think they brought over an under like nines at the time. And now it's progressed where I think there's over 180 girls signed on. Where you've got under nines all the way through to under 16s. With a DS squad, which is like a development squad, which is made of like 16 to 19 year olds. With the yeah. odd like 24, 25 year old. Plus the first team, which play in the third tier of women's football. So they're the league below the championship. Well, that structure then, that's... Um... And even then, just from briefly mentioning it, the fact that then there is a link from under nines to to the first team, that's definitely something that is hugely missed, especially here in in the US. Um, once you get to, okay, some clubs will go up to 19, but really once you get to 16, 17, like once you've finished high school, it, it's over. There is no link. If you don't, unless, if you don't you go, go play for your university or your college, then you're it's extremely difficult to to play within um yeah to unless, you, like, and then, unless you play the pick up bounce games and then you mentioned then that they're playing like division three or step three but then they could they could progress and play a and play a manchester united or an arsenal like that's the tier system in england that's something that is not is definitely not available for you can't join a you can't join a club as male or female at nine and then work your way up and then be playing senior football. In essence, really, you could potentially play into your, you know, your mid late thirties. So that's um, so now you're just with Crawley Wasp. Yeah. You're just concentrating on the on the women's side, so like eighteen plus, really. Yeah. So I went in there and obviously. Um, they obviously i went in there the plan to go and work with the seniors but they've got under 15 who are going into u15 so under 15 who they wanted someone to work with them because they come at the club that come over from so basically they had gone from being crawley united into crawley wasps so they transferred teams because the crawley Wasps were looking for an under, like a, a, their age group team they didn't have one they wanted to get one and these girls, so I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, then there's hadn't been coached before then. No one really probably coached them. It was again, it was a, a a guy or parent who had who just did the coaching, and like you said, it wasn't there was no real structure to it. Um, so I came over and I met with the youth development manager at the time, and he was like, so I went and coached his under 14s, just like did because when we're coming back from lockdown, so you can only work in like small groups of six. Okay. So I was put in like a little technical session, like a little dribbling passing session, 20 minutes, bang, 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 three of the same drill. And like, we want you to work with under 15. So I was like, oh, okay, it's not where I want to go, but I'll have a look at it. I'll, I'll, see, I'll do a session with them, see what I think. Yeah. And straight away, I was like, how, 
how these girls never been coached before or what have you been coached for you can tell like they've never no one's taught them how to receive on the back foot they haven't been taught about the weight of touch weight of pass and a lot of them are there just to play with their friends and obviously i never look at the score but these girls like the resilience these girls have because they would lose most games like six seven nil and they turn up every week and they continue playing. I was like, that is brilliant to see. You will not get that with many teams. Many teams, they lost 6 7 they were like, I'm not playing next week. I know what's coming my way. Right. Uh, so I started working with them and I think once they, obviously they, they obviously bigged me up slightly. I was like, oh, please don't pick me up. I don't want to be bigged up. I hate it. Um, and I was like, I just want to get these girls playing with a smile on their face. You know, um, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to these. I've got three things going to set out. I'm going to get every every girl wants to be like received the ball on the back foot. That's what we're going to work on for the next like month. Is receiving the back foot. Right. We're going to work on touch. That's what we're going to work on. Um, so I came in and we had a couple of new girls who joined the team who were top top players, very good players. Got one girl and just she played in the boys league with her brother for a while and the ball gets dropped out the air and she had two players behind her and she takes a touch in, draws both the players in and then Cruyff turns between them and just runs off down the other side. I was like, where did that come from? And I was like, so the girls just had no confidence given to them. And I was like, well, that's my main thing. I'm going to build up their confidence now. I'm going to get them where they go into every game thinking we can win today. Well, it wasn't important to me if we won or lost. As long as they enjoyed it, but obviously, you know, for the girls, they want to win. The parents want the girls to win. But I always put emphasis like it's not about the result; it's about what have you done well today? What could you improve today? And yeah, I, I say to the parents like this, and it's disrupted as this season went. This right. was the most enjoyable season I've ever had coaching football. You still continue to work with Crawley, and yeah, now, so will you be starting well this? I'm assuming that your season will be about to start and this should be a, an uninterrupted season. So there's been some obviously major change at Qualior. So with the women are playing the third tier, they want, they need, they want to obviously, because there's no money in women's football in England. And where you're not a Man United, an Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, all these teams in, in the south of England, you've got the main clubs in this, in where we live are Brighton and a team called Lewis and obviously got Chelsea around us. So Crawley Wasp is like one of the biggest teams in the area, which is why we're able to we join some teams. So our owner is looking to turn the club into an RTC, which is a regional talent centre. Okay. So it just it gives us that bit more like that that kind of academy feel. Yeah. Um, so we've got some girls, some teams, some girls teams are playing in the um, boys league. Um, so now with the RTC is we've joined up. There's now under 10s, under 12s, under 14s, under 16s. So this season we've joined up our under 14s and 15s to make the 16s. The, the 10s and the 11s from this past season will make the under 12s. And the third, the twelves and thirteens, and lastly, we make under fourteens. So there's still two teams. So with the under sixteens, I'm doing the under sixteens this year with a gentleman 
who was under 14s manager last season. We've got two teams. So one team's going to play in the, in the Surrey League and one team will play in the Sussex League. Okay. So you're playing which way they're playing against you, your Wimbledons, your Crystal Palaces, um, like some good, good good teams around the area. So and we've also brought we brought in a gentleman from who works with the England women's team, who's now our youth technical director. So that's then the the fact that you're um you give it that community feel, but now it's starting to be somewhat professionalized just to improve yeah. standards and yeah and the, the fact that there, there is a pathway which is obviously great for the women's game it's um everyone in the u.s is seeing how in in england and in the rest of europe how the game is is catching up we're seeing it in the olympics as well um yeah. to to the to the u.s so from there as well, like I've seen that, I now see your shirt as well, and we yeah. spoke briefly about uh, Two Touch Football, your organisation. Could you yeah. explain how how that has also helped to players and how you got involved in that and the reasoning behind Two Touch Football? So with, with Two Touch, it, it came from, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. Um, I was Before the pandemic, I was working in our college programme at Crystal Palace, but um, because of the pandemic, we lost the contracts because obviously schools didn't know when, yeah. if any, football was going to be played this year. Schools don't have much money. Saw it coming. So I was thinking, OK, what do I do now? I need to, I want to stay in football. I don't want to take another career break. I want to stay in football. I've, I've dedicated my life to football and this is what I'm going to do. So just from my time working in Crystal Palace, I just obviously some parents have always ask me do you do one-to-ones I'm like yeah sure you know um I enjoy it like I like well I like working in a team environment but I also like working one-to-one because then when in a training session with, with a child would play get that one-to-one connection to really break down everything about they about how they play their first touch like the the, the basics of football's your first touch your weight of pass um uh, you a lot of children had never been taught how to shoot properly. Like when you do, when you see a shooting drill, nine times out of ten, every shooting drill you see will be ten kids lined up, play the ball into the coach, lay it off, and and you have a shot. So yeah. it's trying to get that repetition and understand. And um, kids I work with are from like the youngest I work is like seven, eight, up until like seniors. So I've been doing that now for about a year and. Ma- I think out of all my all the players I work with, majority of them are girls. So it's quite nice and kind of getting my name out there as a girls one-to-one coach, which is brilliant. A lot of the girls are from Crawley Wasps, just because they see me working every day. Yeah. They see me at the train and say, okay, like and it all started off really with from Crawley Wasps is one of the girls on my team and her dad asked me if I do it, and I said yeah. And then Obviously, then that word breaks through to other parents and then parents see you doing it and then they think, OK, I'm going to try it for my daughter. And it's really nice. So it's just through word of mouth. So just helping build up. Like I said, the main thing is I just want to build up their confidence on the ball. Make sure everyone, they walk away having enjoyed it. And if they can take one thing they learned from me into a game or a training session, brilliant. But there's always going to be something they can learn, develop and really master. So 
yeah, working one to one has been really enjoyable because it's allowed me to to work in Crawley Wasps and not worried about. I know being your own boss has been brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just doing one to one and just getting that connection with getting connection with players and helping them develop. And then because I think, like you say, if you can build up that connection, they respond to you better. They know you care. I think that's a big thing for any youth player. I think if that player knows you you care about them. They'll run for a brick wall for you half the time. Well, a big thing as well, um, I know you talk about all the benefits for, for the players, which is obviously one of the main reasons why why we do this. But then that setback of of losing the, the funding with the Crystal Palace school programmes yeah. and then because of the pandemic. But then, um, again, finding your own your own niche in a way and and it's so easy for people to to sit at home and watch Netflix uh, and and complain, but you got off your backside really, and you know thought of a different way of how can I still impact the game, how can I be involved, how can I continue to make you know soccer my livelihood. So that yeah. is um, definitely a, a big thing, and one thing just throughout the podcast that you have bounced back from a lot of those setbacks, whether it was personal finances, injury, um, just moving location. It's the fact that you've always found different different ways to improve. And it seems that just from talking to you, you seem extremely happy. You seem to be enjoying your football, which is, and the fact then that you, and then that does, it's, um, Kids are sponges, so it absorbs. If you're, if the, if the coach is happy, the coach is enjoying yeah. it. The kids will enjoy it as well. If the coach gets frustrated and is uh, lethargic, it 100% transfers into the session and to the style of play. So that's um, a, a huge credit to you, Kyle. It's been real pleasure to speak to you. If anyone was would like to get in contact with you, learn more about your club and your teams with the Crawley yeah. Wasps or if they were interested in private training and small group training if they live in in your your area how yeah. what's the best way that they could get in contact um, with you so I'm on Instagram at which I apologize I am not social media savvy for anyone listening now <laughs> um I am at two touch football development so two as in the number touch football development um i'm on twitter uh at kyle underscore j jordan that's how best to get in touch with me well i will i will share that in the in the podcast show notes um kyle once again thank you this has been great and um all the best for the start of the new season thank you so much paul it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to the PK Soccer Podcast. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter at Paul Kelshaw, Instagram at Paul Kelshaw, like my Facebook page at PK Soccer Inc. or send an email paulkelshaw at pksoccer.org. I would also be grateful if you could give the podcast a review and a rating and share with your fellow coaches and friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.